Welcome to the Reporter Podcast with Bo Berman. Hey everybody, this is Bo Berman and this is Reporter, the podcast that delves into the minds and lives of broadcast news reporters and anchors, delivering a behind-the-scenes look at their careers, methods, best practices, and some personal stories from the trenches of journalism. And on this episode, we have Ike Ijachi, who works for Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. And Ike, thanks for joining the program. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to finally speak with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know you've uh, seen that there's been some other uh, episodes published of uh, Reporter and uh, been Jones in to join the podcast. So I appreciate you taking the time out of your uh, weekend to, uh, to to speak with us on the uh, the podcast here. So um, obviously, uh, for those who don't know, um, yeah, Ike is a uh, reporter at, uh, at Fox 5, like I said, in uh, D.C., um, and we came to know each other, um, I guess circa 2012 or 2013. Wow, has um, it already been that long? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, like six years ago or seven <laughs> years ago at uh, Quinnipiac University in Hamden, Connecticut. Um, I was a reporter at Fox Connecticut News, which is now called Fox 61, the Fox affiliate in Hartford, and I had been hired as a uh, adjunct professor of journalism um, basically teaching reporters how to do, an, or not reporters, but uh, students how to do a, uh, basically a news package. That was kind of the whole goal of my class, which was kind of nice because it was pretty, pretty narrow. Um, I think I also went over some like ethics stuff and current events and, and just stuff like that. But um, basically the final project was just to do a, a really good um, news report. So it was a little bit of like a boot camp kind of thing. And um, I think, so I, I ended up having Ike as a, as a student. Um, and uh, I think right. that class only had, was there like four people in your class? There, were, there weren't that many. I know it was, it was about five or six of us uh, toward the end of the class by the, when uh, the semester ended. So, um, yeah, it was a very, like, uh, small, intimate class. It was great. Loved it. Yeah, it was fun. Um, so it was Saturday mornings for, like, two hours and 45 minutes. Um, yeah. So I think it was tough for everybody to like be uh, awake at, you know, 9am on a, on a Saturday, whenever they're living. It was brutal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I think I was working nightside reporter the night before. So it was, it was a challenge. Um, but uh, for everybody involved, although I tried not to reveal that um, to the students, but uh, yeah, so we got to know each other that way. And then um, I was really excited whenever you got your first, I, I guess it was your first on-air job in, in right in Joplin, Missouri. Yeah, Joplin, Missouri. I remember it took like six, about six weeks for me from uh, the last, uh, I guess, when the semester finished, for me to get that job in Joplin, Missouri. And uh, it was a little, uh, a little nervous. Didn't know if I was going to land anything at the time, but I got that. I got it was um, I had three offers: one from Joplin, Missouri, one from Fayetteville, Arkansas, and one from actually Abilene, Texas. And uh, I literally never even heard of any three of those cities before. So I just, I literally just closed my eyes. I picked one and it was Joplin, Missouri. So yeah, I packed up my car, drove 19 and a half hours and I got there. Wow. And you were, how old were you when you took that, that job? I was, I believe 26. So it wasn't, yeah, I was 26 years old when I first got that job. So I started a little late, 
in the industry, but uh, I managed to uh, to survive to this far so far, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and you've had a rapid ascent since then, which is awesome. Um, so, so let's talk about your background quickly. I mean, you grew up in what, New Jersey, is that right? Yeah, I grew up in central New Jersey, uh, South Plainfield, which is Middlesex County. So people, they don't believe there's a central New Jersey, but there is, I want to clear that up. <laughs> so it was pretty much just uh, 30 minutes outside of New York City. Uh, I was born and raised there my entire life. I didn't really know, I didn't really even leave the state until Quinnipiac in grad school. So that was all I knew, just that New York City, New Jersey area. Okay. And uh, so you went, you did your undergrad um, where? Um, I've had a, I, was, I had quite the story of undergrad. I, I started off at Rutgers and I was there for economics. Then I, I left Rutgers, joined the band, traveled the country, uh, came back, did like community college for like a semester just to get back into it. And then I finished at William Patterson University in uh, in North Jersey for my undergrad. And oh, okay. then, um, yeah, and then it wasn't until I got to uh, about six months later, I got to Quinnipiac for grad school. So I met you. Yeah. So you wait, you said you joined, at first I thought you said, did you join the band at Rutgers or you joined a band, like a touring band? Oh, a band. So I've been playing the sax since the fourth grade. So I was actually in a professional jazz band. Wow. Uh, I did like three different bands. I did a professional jazz band. I did like an R&B group. And then I did a surf rock band called The Bennies. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, can... can it's good can, stuff, man. <laughs> yeah. Can any of this music be found like on, on Spotify or like, like Apple iTunes now or anything like that? In, in the, uh, the depths of the inter internet, I'm pretty sure you can find a, a few songs of me on the sax of the band, but there's absolutely no way I'm going to give you a hint as to how to find uh -oh. that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's there, though. It's there. Man, I'm giving you a chance to plug your SoundCloud page uh, right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm not uh, sure if that's something I want to plug. <laughs> no, 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 probably not. Um, so, all right. So you, uh, you finished at William Patterson, and then you, uh, what was your major? Was uh, it was interpersonal communication at William Patterson. So I did that and obviously I did all the TV clubs and just everything just to get myself into the whole world of journalism. So it's just yeah. straight communication major. Yeah. And I mean, what did you want to be when you were um, a young boy, a, a wee lad? Oh my gosh. It had nothing to do with journalism. <laughs> Believe it or not. I, um, I actually wanted to be a musician. I did. I, uh, I, fourth grade, I picked up that sax. And it just made sense. It clicked. Like I understood, you know, I just growing up as a baby, my mom always played like Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson in the car. So that was always, that kind of music was always in me. And, and that kind of music features a lot of instrumentation. So I always kind of gra uh, gravitated toward the saxophone. And I, it wasn't even a question. High school, you know, I was obviously in all, all the jazz band competitions and concert band. I was winning awards and, it really was at when I was 18 years old, just graduating high school, the whole idea was, okay, I'm gonna get into Mason Grove School of the Arts, which is Rutgers, um, gonna graduate. And I knew at the time, Broadway musicians, made, this is my 18 year old brain thinking. I was like, Broadway musicians make a great salary. I can be a Broadway musician, support a family and gig on the side. And that will be in my life until I die. <laughs> so I, I, try, I tried that. And uh, let's just say it's a little bit harder than you think.
<laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, yeah, a lot of things like that are, are difficult and you really have to, some, you have to persist through a lot of years of like uncertainty that, you know, you, you never may make it. And that's, that's tough. I mean, that's, you know, and, and, you know, only a small percentage of people make it. And I, I don't doubt, oh, sorry about that. Um, I don't doubt that, you know, you would have made it, but you know, that, that can be a long, a long road of, you know, possibly yeah. 20 years. And you know what it is? It's exactly. And it's commitment to the time because it's not necessarily that I was frustrated that I never made it in music, but I was just so happy with the journey. I mean, my favorite times, and you can ask any musician with this, I'm pretty sure they'll agree, they'll agree to a certain uh, uh, extent, but my favorite time wasn't necessarily on a stage in front of people. It was just in a basement practicing with my other band buddies and just us trying to figure out, you know, a new chord change to this song or what would work for this song that we're trying to put together. It was just really the grind that I loved the most. So it was just like, I could have seen myself live that life forever. And for some reason, I just, I just knew that it wasn't sustainable or it wasn't something that I wanted or the way I wanted my life to look. So that, that's why I made the change. Yeah. But what's funny is then you picked the, uh, the highly lucrative and sure thing career that is uh, TV broadcasting. <laughs> I know, right? What was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, pivoted from one tough uh, thing to another, but actually I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you've, you've been able to have a really good um, ascension in TV news. So um, obviously you, you might've known something about, you know, or believed in yourself and, and knew that you could do that. So, I mean, what led to, you know, grad school and what led to journalism as your second interest, so to speak, you know, after music and, and being a musician? Oh, there's a story behind that, actually. It's quite funny. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. Uh, Along with music, I've always uh, done acting, too. That started around the sixth grade. So I was always in, in, uh, in community theaters, school theater, even at college. I was always doing the college plays. I was so used to um, just acting and, and being in front of people in that aspect. So um, there's a degree of that in journalism, t uh, television journalism, obviously, when you're presenting the news on camera. There's a degree of acting to that. Uh, some, of the some of the skills translate as far as, you know, projecting your voice, how to present yourself in certain stories. Obviously, we're not going to be monotone reporters or television reporters. So there's, a, there's an aspect to that. So it, generally, I've always been, you know, into the news. I've always been, you know, in high school, they would call it current events. But I've always just been kind of uh, up to date with things. I've always been interested in a lot of things. And uh, there was a time before I started my undergrad program in journalism and at, at the time between that and when I stopped playing music, there was a lot of just bartending and serving in places around New York City and New Jersey. And at one point, I believe I was like around 24, I was bartending at the Cheesecake Factory in Bridgewater, New Jersey, actually. Okay. And uh, I was a Sunday morning, I'll never forget this. And this man walks in, uh, really fat, ugly looking guy, Tony, right? He walks in the bar, he comes, sits right at my bar, and he's with two women. This is the crazy story. I'm not making this up. Okay. So it's, I'm like, hey, how you doing? I do the whole, you know, spiel, whatever, what do you like to drink? He orders his drink, and he orders a drink for the two people he's with. All right, um, do my thing behind the bar, talking to him, trying to make small talk. And the guy looks me in the face and he stops. He goes, you know what? I'm going to tell you something. Someone knows something you probably heard before. I said, all right, whatever. Go ahead. He goes, 
you have a fantastic voice for radio. Mind you, at this point, I didn't even think of anything to do with the media. I'm like, what are you talking about? Because you have a great voice for radio. I was like, you serious? He goes, listen, take my advice. Stop what you're doing now. Get into radio. You'll be great at it. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, listen, you have a great voice, and it's all about confidence. It's like, life is all about confidence. He goes, look at me. I'm an ugly man, and I have two beautiful women on my side. Didn't ask how that happened, but that's what he said, all right? So I'm guessing that he really felt good about himself at that point. But he was like, listen, you got to be confident, and you like your voice. I went home that day, and I, mind you, I was just bartending. Didn't even know what I wanted to do with my life at that point. I went home. I, I researched what it takes to get on radio. And through the wormhole that is the Internet, I eventually – stumbled into, you know, oh, radio, oh, oh, journalism, you know, and I kind of understand, started looking at the field of journalism, realized, oh, wait a minute, this is something I could do, I kind of like this, this is something, you know, I'm already into the the field as as far as me reading and being up to date with things, you know, as is, this is something I could do, so I looked up, you know, good journalism schools in the area, and it just turned out that William Patterson at the time, had a better journalism program than Rutgers. So I made the switch, you know, all my credits transferred at that point. I didn't really need to take anything but the main courses since all my prerequisites are done. So I made the switch and that's where it all started. So if it weren't for me bartending at the Cheesecake Factory, I would never be where I am right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a good story. That's a really good story. I mean, honest to God. Yeah, sometimes it takes something like that. I mean. You know, the, the reason, one of the reasons I got into it was, um, you know, I kind of wanted to be like a lot of people. I wanted to be like a sports center anchor. Um, that was my goal. Yeah. Um, and I was better at, you know, writing, writing than math and everything. But similar to your story, it was kind of someone who I, who kind of inspired me. And I was fortunate enough to have, I guess, a little bit of like nepotism or a connection in the sense that I had a cousin who was a reporter. And, you know, were it not for him, I probably never would have considered that as like an actual option as a career. It just wouldn't have occurred to me, you know, um, as something that you could do. And, you know, and uh, but anyway, I remember going to his wedding when I was 12 in Dallas, Texas. and He was driving this like brand new black Corvette and you know, <laughs> he was marrying this beautiful woman. And then like later in his life would end up, you know, that marriage didn't work out. But he was dating like a Cowboys cheerleader. And I was like, this is so cool. Like. <laughs> was the greatest job in the world. Um, you know, little did I know that the the salaries would plummet from there, and and you know, it's not always yeah. all it's cracked up to be, and there's a lot of long hours, and you know, it it can lead to you know being a strain on relationships and stuff like that. So there's definitely downsides with the upsides, but yeah, I mean, it's funny how there's those little um, inflection points in your life where you know it could be a stranger or a family member, but you know, someone says something that resonates with you. So um, for you, it was just this random dude at the Cheesecake Factory, but um, that's a great story. And you know, what's cool about it though, is that you could have been, you know, I think part of what sets you apart is you could have just been like, huh, and just gone back to like making a mojito. But instead you went home that night and like did the research and you actually like took it to heart and thought, all right, well, I don't really know this dude, but let me at least do the research and see, you know, if this is viable. and you knew you had the confidence and he was right. You do have a great voice. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I think it takes that extra step though. Cause a lot of people get compliments, but very few people actually act on them. I think. Um, yeah, so- I mean, I always, I'm always looking for, you know, advice or, or, or 
guidance wherever I can find it. And, you know, if someone says something, I'm going to look into it to see if it's, you know, BS or something I can actually run with. Yeah. So you did run with it. And so, you, you know, you, you graduated from, from William Patterson and with the interpersonal communications. Um, and so how did you end up in, in kind of the middle of nowhere in, in Connecticut? Oh my gosh. So, <laughs> well, you were talking about how um, the, the industry may put a strain on relationships. Well, let's just say that actually had uh, something to do with it. At the time I was, um, I was dating somebody. When I went to grad school, I, I met someone in grad school and uh, we did the long distance thing from Missouri. And by the time I learned my contract in Missouri, I actually had a job offer in San Diego, lovely, beautiful, sunny San Diego and Kansas city, which was a great city that I visited a lot since I was in Missouri. And then the third offer um, was uh, Fox 61. I know uh, I talked to you about that, and I, you definitely helped me make that, um, make that uh, the, uh, in introduction. At the time, the person who I was with was in Connecticut. You know, I know the job of Fox 61 was right there. It just it, it seemed to make sense. So I, I took the job in Connecticut, thinking that you know, let me follow the person I was with at the time and you know things kind of just seem like a puzzle uh you know things don't really work out <laughs> but i i ended up at a job in connecticut and to be honest that was probably the best decision of my career because i met so many people and i've learned so many things at that job that definitely helped me get to where i am right now yeah sure great and you know i mean life would have turned out different and maybe okay if you went to the other places i mean san diego is a great market um and, and Kansas City is a great market, too. Um, I, have my, uh, I have a family member that worked in um, San Diego at one point. Um, him and his, my cousin and his – a different cousin, actually. So there you go. People – a lot of my family members oh, have okay. heard in that original cousin's footsteps. It's a weird uh, chain of, uh, you know, people who've gotten into the business. But, um, yeah, so him and his wife worked in San Diego, a uh, great market. And Kansas City, um, I had a job uh, offer there at one point as well. And it, it's a very, very good market. Um, but oh, yeah. uh, a cool place to live. But uh, yeah, I mean, so you ended up in Connecticut and you had the experience because you had gone to Quinnipiac. So you, were, you kind of already knew the area. Oh, absolutely. That definitely helped a lot too. The fact that, uh, like you said, I knew some of the area, even from your class and other class, I've done stories in the area already. And I kind of knew a lot of the players. I was familiar with the, uh, the politics in the state because before, um, well, actually during my time at Quinnipiac when I was going there for a grad student, I was a freelancer for the Associated Press. So I actually covered the 2014 gubernatorial race in Connecticut. I believe it was with uh, Foley versus, uh, I oh my, my brain is not working at the time. But Malloy, obviously, yeah, Malloy. So I covered that for the, uh, for the AP a little bit. So I kind of had some of my foot in the water in Connecticut before I even uh, – left grad school. So all that I, can, I think kind of helped out a little bit too with me just getting that job and being a little bit successful around that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so how many, how long were you in, uh, well, first of all, how long were you in Joplin and how long were you in uh, at Fox 61? Um, I both did just one contract each. So in Joplin, I was there for just under two years. And then uh, in uh, Fox 61 again, I think I made it like a year and 10 months. So pretty much just two to uh two-year contract so it was really quick you know it was a lot of moving uh in those first four years you know it was definitely a lot of moving. i moved uh in joplin i was in the same apartment but in connecticut i believe i moved apartments three times 
yeah, three, three times. So it was, it was, it's been a lot. Yeah, absolutely. So then you um, ended up at Fox 5, and you've been there how long? I've been there for a little over 10 months now. January will be a year, actually. Actually, 11 months since November. So yeah, 11 months right now. So it's time is flying. Time flies by, yeah. I remember when you were taking that job um, and, and you know, weighing the decision and everything and considering some other opportunities, but went with it. Um, do you, uh, and you've already covered some really big stories. I mean, at least, you know, sports-wise, you were just at the World Series, right, in Houston? Yeah, and I have to say, I'm, I'm, for the record, I want to get this on record. I'm the reason why they went to the World Series. Wow. <laughs> Let me tell you. Let me explain to you why. So every market I've been in, that team has won the World Series, or at least a team near it. For instance, when I was in Missouri, right, 2015, out of nowhere, all-star break, the Royals are 500. They make this historic push, make it to the World Series, beat my Mets, right? Fine. Wow. I moved to Fox 61. What? The next closest team? Boston Red Sox. What happened? They had that unbelievable 106 or 7 game, you know, uh, wins, uh, and they just ripped through the playoffs, win the World Series, right? Take a job at Fox 5 DC, what happens? And that's when the first World Series in franchise history. I'm not saying anything, but I'm saying that I'm pretty good when it comes to being making the World Series and me move into a city. <laughs> I'm a believer, and you know what? There's actually a, an open uh, main anchor job in Pittsburgh right now that pays a million dollars a year, and I think you should come take that. <laughs> the pirates into the Sign world. me up. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up. Might, little, might need a little more help with that, though. No, but yeah, it was, it was great. I, um, they got me covering the, uh, the World Series, and that was something that, you know, no one really expected the Nats to do anything. I mean, obviously, the Bryce Harper law loss. Uh, right, like yeah, they just the the lost season. with their best player, basically. Yeah, but it turns out that it was one of those situations where, and just talking from people around the team, it was addition by subtraction. So getting that kind of personality out of, um, out of the ballpark, out of the locker room, it allowed other people to step up. And it allowed Rendon to, you know, to, to really step into the spotlight. It allowed Soto to step into the spotlight. It allowed Zimmerman to regain control of the team and really be that leader who's been there from the start. And obviously other players too, to really shine. So it kind of just got rid of that murkiness around the locker room and it kind of just let people just start having fun again. And once they had that, you know, pretty bad 50 game start to the season, something just happened. Davey Martinez kind of just started rolling with things and they just went on this best run. If you take out the first 50 games of the season, and that's the best record in baseball. So they wanted this historic run. And it was just so fun along the way covering that because of this, I actually went to Houston to cover the World Series, game one and game two. I didn't know I was going until two days before, oh, wow. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. yeah, because everyone, I mean, if you ask anybody here in the, in the in D.C. or the DMV area, they'll tell you, listen, I don't care how good the Nats are, we're not going to believe it. I mean, we had doubters all the way up until the last pitch of game seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know so it was just really cool to see a city really wake up and kind of turn the page toward being a baseball town yeah and yeah. it was just it was so fun i did that you know i had a couple um university of maryland games i covered already uh they let me do a post game show here with the redskins so i've been doing a you know we don't have we don't really have a sports department here it was it got rid of it a few years back so Oh. You know, with the sports experience I do have, it's been fun to kind of step in that role every now and then. 
Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that you did not have a sports department there. I mean, so because I was going to ask you, um, when you when you're assigned to things like this, do you ever kind of wish that you were a sports reporter, like a full fledged full time sports reporter or sports anchor? I kind of do. I'll, even this time, I, I asked my bosses, "Hey, listen, do you want me to go in there as a news reporter covering a sporting event or an actual sports reporter? Because I can do both, and it's always the the first one they want, which is fine, but." There are times that I kind of wish I had just that whole sports reporter hat on, let me go full feds, because that's something I started doing in my, when I first had this career, too, was sports. So that was definitely a, a path I thought I was going to take early on. So it's, it's, it's hard. I, I try not to do it because I always have to think, you know, the viewers for Fox 5, they're news viewers. We, we don't really have sports viewers anymore. So I have to give our viewers a certain product they come to expect and it's really more of the experience so it was my reporting was a lot of you know the world series experience for the fans for the viewers sprinkled in with some sports technical stuff as much as i can without yeah. overloading them <laughs> yeah yeah jumping backwards a little bit what what made you decide to do the the uh, graduate degree at in connecticut at quinnipiac i mean why did you not try to just grab a an on-air job straight out of uh, william patterson um, two reasons. I didn't really dive in as much as I wanted to at William Patterson in terms of TV uh, clubs and certain programs outside of the curriculum. Mind you, I was interpersonal communications. I wasn't really broadcast journalism for my undergrad. Mm -hmm. So it, I, I wasn't privy to a lot of those classes. So by the time I got my degree, yeah, I was a minor and so on and so forth was in broadcast and I did um, get a lot of that stuff, but not as much as the other uh, graduates, you know? So I kind of felt that I really needed more work before I felt comfortable enough actually getting that first on-air job. So I, you know, I graduated, I didn't really have that much of my reel, I just didn't feel prepared. So I was like, you know what, let me go back, let me see if I can get my master's, that way, if I can do this year program, it'll be an extra year, and it'll be all about um, just, creating packages and like the technical stuff that I really need to learn. So it really, you know, I looked back again, I, I knew I didn't want to go to the same school for grad school. Yeah. And I kind of wanted to stay in the area. So I was kind of researching what's like the best journalism school in the tri-state area uh, and Connecticut. And I found out, you know, Quinnipiac obviously was just the top of the top of, of in terms of journalism in the area. So, you know, I remember I drove up there, you know, filled out the application, drove up there, met up with Rich Hanley and one conversation with my man Hanley, and he convinced me to just hop on board. So yeah. I got that year out, and that year at Quinnipiac, it, it was great. It gave me exactly what I needed. Like I got out there with a reel and helped me get those three first, first three job offers. And I actually left there uh, with a lot of knowledge that I did not know, that, I, that was supplemented, um, that I didn't have uh, at William Patterson, just based on the time that I spent in the majors. It wasn't that right. I didn't offer it at William Patterson, but just the yeah. time I spent. So, I mean, to be honest, I know I wouldn't be where I am now for work for Quinnipiac. I just wasn't ready. And I didn't know if the resources uh, or the just the time or any whatever you want to call it was there for me to get ready if it weren't for Quinnipiac. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and you, you know, it's funny looking back on it. I mean, you, you were, you had the talent and the potential, but you were pretty raw back then, you know, in, in terms of, you know, reporting and stuff. And uh, so it's, it's cool to watch that evolution and, um, you were a quick, quick study though, and uh, a really, a really good student. You know, very engaged and uh, energetic, and, and everything. So, 
Um, thank you. Thank awesome. you. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, me personally, like based on what I've seen, I don't always think grad school is a good idea for everybody. Um, you know, especially if they, if they did major in journalism in undergrad or broadcast journalism, I don't think that they necessarily need it. Most people don't. Um, but if you are like transitioning in careers or like didn't, you know, full on major in journalism in undergrad or have an internship, then, you know, it, it definitely is needed and it can be great for for certain people. And I think, you know, you're definitely one of those candidates who um, it was perfect for, but uh, all right. So yeah, you're at, you're at Fox five. And um, what would you say your, your goals are, you know, long-term, do you want to get into national news? Do you want to become DC's most well-known reporter or anchor, or do you want to get out of the business? What are you, what are you thinking right now? Yeah, it's not, that's actually a question I ask myself all the time because it's a question, the answer changes all the time. Um, the only thing I can say is I definitely want to stay in this business. So I know I know a lot of reporters and anchors myself who struggle with that question. They don't know if they want to stay in or stay out. Thankfully, I want to stay in. So that that part's part that part is decided for me. As far as that, to be honest, when I, when I first took the job here at a uh, Fox Five in, in DC, I was excited. Uh, one, it was a top ten market. Two, DC just seemed like a cool city. Mind you, I've actually never even been to see the DC before I took the job and just knowing friends and some family who are in the DMV area, they're always talking about it. I knew this was going to be a great city that I was going to like, and it is, it's a fantastic city. So much to do. I, I love it. So it wasn't, I wasn't afraid to move here. I just, I didn't know what I wanted to do as far as a long-term plan. So I said, you know, let me just come here. I know I'm going to like it. Uh, who knows? And almost a year in, I can say I, I knew, like starting into the business, I always want to get, always wanted to get to national news. That was just my thing. I'm like, if I'm going to get into this, I want to get into this, and I, and I want to do the national news. And a funny thing happens, you know, when you're in this business a long time, or at least you know, starting to get into this, and you know, you go through a few jobs, you start to realize, you know, what what this business actually is, mm -hmm. and you start to realize what you're good at and what you actually want. A lot of the times, uh, you don't really, a lot of people who I speak to, they don't really know what they want until years in this industry. So the idea now of being a national correspondent, understanding what that means, understanding the fact that you're gonna have to have a go bag on you at any moment's notice, Understanding the fact that you can be at anywhere in the country or even the world, depending on what position you have. Understanding the fact that, you know, good chance you're not going to be sleeping in your bed every single day of the week. And understanding the fact that, you know, we're not getting any younger. That kind of lifestyle doesn't seem as attractive as, you know, me staying here in Washington, D.C. and working as much as I can to see how far I can get, you know, that kind of lifestyle for me right now, my life sounds pretty good. Sounds like something I want to do. Yeah. So, you know, I'm saying this now that answer can change six months from now. I guess what I'm trying to say is like in this industry, like you come in thinking, you know what you want to do and you spend enough time, chances are you'll have about five answers <laughs> to that yeah. question. So it's kind of just like, you know, how do I feel right now? You know, right. and obviously life can get in the way, you know, you, you, you meet significant others who may want to leave or who may not want to leave. They want to stay in the area. You know, who knows what can happen? Yeah, 
So, I kind of like that about it, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a very good and honest answer. And it's all totally variable. I mean, I, I've had the same story in my career, moved to actually also moved to Connecticut largely because of a relationship that um, <laughs> yeah. ultimately didn't work Talk out. Talk about that state. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, um, left Connecticut after a relationship that didn't quite work out. And, and so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of factors and, um, you know, the, the network thing, I mean, even to this day, having a go bag and all that and traveling the world and the country seems really fun to me, like seems really attractive, but like you said, you know, good luck having a marriage with that job. Um, you know, yeah. a stable marriage, um, or, you know, having a great relationship with your kids, if that's what you want to do. So, you know, there are compromises in life and, and, you know, I, I used to, it used to strike me as I thought, oh, people who say that are just like weak, you know, they're just like making up excuses, mm -hmm. but not really. I mean, it's, it's really just a pragmatic approach to it. And it doesn't mean that you can't, you know, be a network reporter, anchor, or that you shouldn't, but it just means you do have to like think really hard about it and get a really good idea of what it really entails, you know, um, so yeah, um, it, it's, uh, it's all variable. And if you asked me a year ago at this time, 12 months ago, if I would be, you know, not reporting, I would have said that you're crazy. You know, I would have said that, uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely be reporting right now. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 you know, life can take its twists and turns and, and as you age, you, you sort of, you know, gain wisdom and it's so cliche, but it's just really true. So, um, so what, what was the, the hardest aspect of going from Hartford, which is, you know, always hovers around market 30 to Washington, D.C., which is like a full-fledged top 10 market, a major American city. You know, were you nervous on the first time you were live on air or, you know, what adjustments did you have to make? Um, if any. I wasn't, I wasn't nervous as far as I hope I do a good job because, you know, at a certain point you realize that, you know, a shooting is a shooting in Hartford and it's the same in DC. You know, you cover so many types of stories that you know how to cover a story. So it wasn't, I wasn't nervous. I didn't know how to do the job, but uh, there's just, there's something about going into a new market and having people know things about you. So it's just like, you know, I, I was nervous. It's like, I, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to mess up obviously, but I didn't want to let other people think that I didn't deserve to be there. Right. So, it was just like me always trying to find the best stories I could early on. You know, I wanted to like uh, land something, you know, land something. Also, um, every station has a completely different culture and every station wants something completely different out of their talent. I'd say the biggest change for me was the workload. And it wasn't, it, it was different. It wasn't harder. It was different in that in Connecticut, Every single day, I had to deliver a package. You know, your minute 30 story that, you know, you, you front live and you toss your package and you tag out. That was mandatory. If I didn't do that every day, I, there'd be problems. I'd be called into the office. Yeah. I came to Fox 5, and the first thing I was told was, we don't want to see you do packages. Hmm. I, I thought it was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was, what are you talking about? A news director sat me down and says, we don't do packages here. They slow up our newscast, and we don't want it. We want live both sides. Imagine if <laughs> you hearing this, your whole entire career has been based on making a package, and now your boss is telling you, I don't want to see packages. <laughs> so what that really meant was, obviously, it's not just I don't want to see packages. I do packages whenever I want. But w what that was was a whole rethinking of how to tell a story in this market. So 
the one thing that I do differently now is I uh, live shots uh, or things of that nature. I don't, I don't have a cell phone. I don't have a script. I, I don't use my cell phone to read scripts anymore. Hmm. Even when I have bow shots, I never have a script. Now I'll write a script for closed captioning and, you know, obviously for people behind the scenes, but mm-hmm. when it comes to the things that I say on air, I'm not scripted. And my boss said something really, you know, um, interesting to me that really opened my eyes. In a meeting once, I'll never forget, he said, uh, you know, I never want to see a reporter with a cell phone in their hand on air. You know, all the reporters like, you know, I got my script. You know, how am I going to read my script? And my boss was like, if you come into work and you spend nine hours a day on a story, if you don't know how to tell that story at the end of your shift, you probably shouldn't be working here. And it clicked. I was like, you're right. I've been working on this story nine hours. If I don't know the details of everything in this story that I've been doing for nine hours, I probably shouldn't be here. So I kind of rethought the way I was reporting, actually just delivering the news, not necessarily gathering the news. That stayed the same, you know, how to actually, you know, get the information. That never changes. But delivering the news is what's different for every market. And over here, it's such a conversational style here at Fox 5. I love it. It kind of reminds me a lot of national news, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten so used to, for my live shots, bullet points, meaning, okay, um, this happened. Arlington Road, 300 block, two people shot, uh, officer, uh, you know, you can get those bullet points, you get the facts down. And then once you memorize those, all you're doing, I'm just literally talking extemporaneously, keeping those facts, the things I really need to deliver, the, the stuff I spent all day working on, keeping those facts straight. But my delivery is as conversation as possible and as you know, unscripted. So it seems as if I'm literally talking to you because that's, like, you know, that's all we're trying to do. Once I understood that and really got that going, I ran with it and my style has completely changed. And personally, I feel stronger because I feel like I have more ownership of my story because I'm not tied down to a script or something of that nature. You know, obviously, when I'm writing a package, I have a script that I have to track. But, you know, as far as live shots and things of that nature, when I'm not doing packages. Yeah, that's been the biggest uh, the, the biggest challenge, to be honest. Right. Yeah, no, that's 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 a great like, you know, um, story from the trenches there in, in D.C. Um, that I think we'll give a lot of reporters who hear this um, a really good, you know, frame of mind and uh, mental perspective, especially a lot of reporters in, you know, the Joplin market or the, you know, Odessa, Texas, or the, uh, you know, middle of nowhere in Montana who are just starting out because, you know, we think we have to be so, so structured and scripted. And, you know, to some extent you do, especially when you're starting out, but um, you know, it's kind of like that, that saying like you, you have to learn the rules before you can break them. And, you know, yeah. if you were working without a script in Joplin, sometimes you, you probably would have just messed up or, or maybe not been quite ready for that. Um, I know that you're very good extemporaneously, so maybe you would have nailed it, but um, some people, you know, would not be able to handle that. So you kind of need to start that way. But yeah, once you get to a certain level, you know, um, a script can be like a chamber, like a prison almost, because you're, you're tied to it. Like you said, you're anchored to it. So that was very, you know, good advice. And yeah, like you said, every market is different. You know, New York City is very different than Denver. And, you know, DC mm-hmm. is different than Pittsburgh and Hartford's different than Kansas City. So yeah, you do have to, you know, LA is, is a totally different beast from what I understand. So um, yeah, it's funny, like I've been trying, it's like when I, before I got this job, I was trying vigorously 
to get a job in Los Angeles or San Francisco. I, I just wanted to get to the West Coast. I didn't get one bite. And I was talking to my agent. I'm like, come on. I know I'm not. I can get something from San Francisco, San Diego, L.A., something from over there. And she's based out of L.A. And she said, you know what? The L.A. people over here like to take people from L.A. and the West Coast. Because there's just something about this side of the country that they just do things differently. And that New York style, the East Coast style just doesn't work. And I was like, ah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that can be the case. I mean, I, you know, it's so weird in the business. I mean, you know, obviously that's like a generalization. It's probably true to a large yeah. extent. It's funny. I mean, I worked with uh, Lori Perez in Hartford. And she just, she'd been in Hartford for like the longest time. I thought, you know, she was a, a great reporter, very solid anchor, you know, had a political show. And um, I thought she was gonna like, die in Hartford, you know, I mean, meaning like, I thought she'd be on the air till she was 90. And, and you know, be this legend and, and be there forever. And the next thing you know, I can't quite remember what happened. But I think her partner got a job in, in Los Angeles. She moves out there, like a week later, I want to say, or like a month later, she's got a job at like CBS LA, you know, it was just like, whoa. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, and I think she might have had family out there or something like that. But it was just interesting to me. And part of it was, my memory of it was that she just like went into the newsrooms for visits and just said like, Hey, I'm a reporter. I live here now. I would just like to meet with you. And boom, next thing you know, I think she had like two offers and took the better offer. And it's like, what I've learned in the industry is half the time you actually just have to walk into a newsroom. And I don't, I don't mean like, yeah. you know, you sneak in the back door and just show up, but <laughs> you, know, you have to just like kind of be bold and like schedule an appointment or, you know, say, hey, can I bring you this gift or like a gift card? I don't know. Like you have to just get in front of the news director's face. And, and the key is that you just live there. Like for some reason, there's this weird psychological thing where like if they don't have to pay your moving expenses or, you know, if, if you're already in the area and they can call you when they need like an extra body, like it's just this weird psychological thing. But I've seen that time and time again where, you know, if you're in Washington state applying for a job in Florida, you're just going to have a way more uphill battle than someone who's like sitting in Jacksonville right there you know, block from the station, you know, who lives there. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense. It's just like a whole, a whole part of the battle. They just don't have to fight. Right. Yeah. And it's not even really fair. It might, doesn't even really make sense. Like there might be a better reporter who's farther away, but it, you're right. It's just this like kind of, they're very busy and you know, anything that makes it easier. I mean, if someone says, Hey, I've got a delicious, you know, I don't know, like a steak dinner for you and it's three blocks away or someone's right in front of you going, I've got the same steak dinner here. I'll just hand it to you. Which one are you going to pick? I mean, it's, it's kind of a no brainer. So <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, good point. <laughs> it works, but um, not always fair though. But you know, as they say, life is sometimes not fair. So, um, so what do you like about DC? You said you had, you had not even been to DC in your life before you took the job. Yeah, I've never been there. Eighth grade, I was sick during the DC trip. <laughs> but um, no, this city, you know, it's weird. There's some things I love about it. There's some things that I kind of wish were a little different. I mean, I don't have the authority or even anything to, to say it should change, but this is my own personal opinion. Uh, the thing I like about DC is that there are so many different neighborhoods. And DC itself, like, you know, the market is the DMV area, uh, you know, Maryland, the district, and Virginia. Um, but the actual city of D.C. itself is tiny. I believe it's like 64 square miles or something of that nature, you know. It's really small. So you can kind of literally walk around the entire city in a day. So, you know, you, you'll be at the wharf in southwest D.C. within a half hour. 
you'll be somewhere deep in Chinatown enjoying, you know, the best Chinese food you've ever had in your life, you know, and you can walk a little bit more and you'll be in another completely different area. So DC has a lot to offer in that aspect and it's very easy to access those things. Uh, another thing that I like about DC, it's a very runnable city. I got into running when I was in Missouri and I kind of like got into that here and uh, there's nothing better than waking up at 6 a.m. and running on the National Mall and just seeing those, the Capitol, the Washington Monument, the Lincoln at 6 a.m., you know, walking, running over like the uh, the shoreline and the, Anac uh, the shoreline, but the, uh, the Anacostia River and running along that water in the morning. I mean, it's just so many little pockets that no one even knows about that you can just discover on your own. But another uh, one of the takeaways from D.C., though, is that it's kind of a transient city. So a lot of the things, the topics that are, are going on right now in the city, uh, there's a big discussion on gentrification. I know there's a story back in the summer, a uh, hashtag that started, Don't Mute D.C. Go-Go um, Music is like the, the, the anthem uh, for the district, for D.C. And uh, there's one story where, you know, some new residents moved into a, a historical, a historical neighborhood in, in, in the city. And uh, there's this one Metro PCST mobile store. And every day the owner of that store will put a loud speaker in front and blast go-go music. And he was doing that for 20 years and everyone loved it. And one of the new tenants filed a noise complaint <laughs> because it was too loud, you know, and you know, it might, it might've been too loud, but it was just one of those things where, you know, the old guard is facing the new guard and issues with gentrification. So there's a lot of um, tension in the city in terms of, uh, of the population. It's booming. I mean, if you come down to the ballpark, Navy Yard, everyone will tell you, you know, in the 90s, 2000s, there was absolutely nothing there, you know. Mid-2000s, the ballpark gets uh, built up. Now you can't walk around Navy Yard without running into a massive condo or apartment building. So for a lot of people, you know, they're sad that they're seeing the city that uh, they knew kind of change before their eyes. And they're also sad that they're being pushed out. So there's just a lot of animosity, which comes with a, a lot of people uh, really just kind of having a negative taste in their mouth because DC is such a transient city. You know, that comes with the presidential administration, you know, every four or eight years, you'll get either a vast influx of people moving in, looking, you know, for housing, you know, and they're moving in from all parts of the country. So you're really, it's not really homogenous. So a lot of the times it's a community where not many people are friendly because they're all trying to figure this new place out. So that kind of plays into it too. So it's a very weird city to navigate. However, I'm not here going to bash the city. I mean, I love this city. I mean, I, this city is fantastic. There's just so much to offer here too, as well. So, I think, believe it or not, uh, to bring it back around to sports, the Nats winning the World Series, it almost it, like it gave like a chance for people to say that's ours. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the people who aren't from here, they they now feel like, oh man, like I got a little ownership. I got a little you know little skin in the game. I might have been here five six years, you know. I may have missed my hometown in Colorado or wherever they're from, but, you know, I've been here for a while. I went to a few Nats games and, you know, I went to a few Caps games. I went to a few Mystics games and look, they're all winning now. And I can go to my friends on Facebook. Yeah, I know I'm not home anymore, but look at my new city. So yeah. there's kind of that going on too, you know? So it's, yeah, it's really, it's an interesting and exciting time. 
Yeah, sounds like it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing the effect that winning a, a championship, believe it or not, I mean, people who don't like sports, you know, might roll their eyes at this, but, you know, when a city wins a sports championship, it, it, it can really, you know, bring people together, you know, at least emotionally or in their headspace. And, you know, I don't think that's to be um, minimized, but, uh, you know, I do kind of feel bad for the people up in Montreal, you know, the, the old expos, of course, is, is what the Nationals oh, yeah. uh, are. <laughs> But, uh, oh, yeah. but, you know, Vlad Guerrero's son is in the MLB now and they can take ownership of him, um, I guess, to some extent. But uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's cool for the, for the Nats to, uh, to win the title and everything. And it's, it's fun to be a reporter in a market when something like that happens. Um, you know, whenever the, the hometown team wins, it's just, there's just this energy and, and uh, you know, to, you kind of have that on your resume. You know, I've covered a MLB you know, World Series title, and it's cool. I mean, so speaking of that, you actually, uh, and we'll kind of come to a close here pretty soon, but um, you uh, you interv- interviewed the the guy who, what, like, had, like uh, had the beer spill on him whenever the ball, the home run, caught a home oh, run ball. Yeah. Tell, tell yeah, it went viral. Was. I couldn't believe it. No, what, was the, what was the story behind that? Oh, so that, that was all, that was all, that happened so quickly. So his name was Jeff Adams. So, uh, I believe it was obviously it was in DC. I probably shouldn't know which game it was. I think it was game five because I remember the next time he went to Houston. So it was game five. Um, I believe it was the fourth inning. So at that point, uh, the way that the coverage works uh, for DC, Fox, uh, the World Series was on Fox and we're an owned and operated station. So we had the World Series on our station. So you would imagine just like the amount of coverage and team coverage we put into this. So we had a three hour pregame show. We had a postgame show. I mean, we were all over. So my duties were the pregame show, as many hits as I can stand. And then the postgame show, as many hits as I can stand. But during the actual game, obviously we're not doing anything. It's the world series. So we kind of had this like, what turned out to be four hours of really just watching the game we want or doing whatever we really wanted. I mean, I don't know about you, but I had a press pass that allowed me to get anywhere. So I'm taking a chance and I'm going to go in the ballpark and watch me a nice World Series game, you know? Yeah. So I managed to actually find a seat by one of the Fox cameras. <laughs> so I had a fantastic view of a World Series game on the first floor. <laughs> awesome. So as I'm sitting there, literally just enjoying myself, you know, I'm going to be talking about the game, so i got to watch it. So I'm just paying attention. I see the home run hit. And I see it's – I didn't really see it hit him at first. I saw that – I heard like a crowd, like a roar. I'm like, oh, some fan probably like caught it or something like that. You know, it happens all the time. So I see the replay. I'm like, oh, look at this guy. He like had some beer in his hand. And it's just – I didn't really understand the moment when it happened because it's just like, it didn't seem anything extraordinary. So I'm sitting there within minutes, my work phone is buzzing. And I look down, it's an email from my, from our executive producer, our EP. She goes, whoever's in the ballpark, find that guy right now. It's going to be a moment. And <laughs> at this point, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, still at this point, I'm just like, whatever. I didn't really even think it was that big of a deal. But then I started seeing the replays. I'm like, oh, it's pretty funny. You know, well, let's see what I can do. Not thinking anything. Um, I saw that in the video, uh, Bud, Bud Light posted out, sent out a tweet saying, someone find this man. And I saw that the ball hit like the Kaiser Permanente sign in center field. I knew exactly where that was. So I left where I was. It was like a, under a four-minute walk. 
I walked around the ballpark and I kind of got to his section and nothing or no one was there yet. So I kind of like <laughs> flashed my badge a little bit. So like yeah. one of the security guys was like, oh, I got to get by. And I kind of mumbled something. And I walked down. As I'm walking down, you know, I had my Fox 5 uh, polo on. And everybody was like, oh, you're from Fox. You're from Fox. You're here to talk to the guy, right? And I'm just like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, mind you, I'm still not thinking this is a big deal. So I get down there and I see the guy. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know what? Let me just like, I was just going to take a picture and like kind of tweet it out. But I was like, you know, let me just do a little quick video. You know, maybe the station will use this. I don't know. Who knows? No, wait, did so you? I, I put out the. Did you have a photographer go ahead. with you? No, I was on my cell phone. Oh, okay. <laughs> wait, so did you do, yeah. did you have like a, like a selfie stick type of thing that you held up or what? Hey man, I'm six four. I got long arms. <laughs> I just used my arm to be honest. Yeah, that was just. Yeah. It was kind of just one of those things where it's like, you know, let me just take a quick video. So I yeah, get yeah. there, you know, I I turn the camera around, I turn it, you know, horizontal, and I just on the spot ask him like two questions. Hey man, how'd you catch the ball? What'd you do it? He gave like some funny answer, and then I took that video. I, I made a tweet, like a funny tweet, and I sent it out. And then I just kind of sent an email to the entire newsroom. Hey. His name is Jeff, you know, Jeff Adams. His number is so-and-so. He said he'll come on our morning show if, if you want to talk to him. Still, don't even think it's a big deal. By the time I got back to my seat, it, the tweet already had 10,000 views. <laughs> wow. So I'm just like, oh, boy, I, this might be something. Lo and behold, in the next two days, it's already reached like half a million views. And Bud Light already contacted me. And they made a shirt about him and they brought him on the parade when, you know, they brought him to Houston that he was on the parade. So, I mean, that whole thing blew up. I was getting messages from everywhere around the country. It was crazy. <laughs> so yeah. it's just so funny that, you know, you can spend a week off the road and, you know, have all this B-roll and this great story and you can make this unbelievable package that, you know, you've uncovered like the Da Vinci code and three people will see. And then you post a picture of like some guy getting hit with a baseball and it goes viral. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, there's, no, yeah. there's no rhyme or reason it's like it's it's often you know i mean you know like kind of like the goofiest thing but I've, I've had that experience time and time again where i'm like really really this is the thing i do that goes viral really i know but you know that's so much a better job if i knew that was gonna happen right exactly exactly I've, I've had stuff exactly like that too and it's just it's wild um and then you're just like amazed at how quickly it goes viral i mean when something goes viral it happens fast it is nuts fast it's either yeah. going to happen or it's not going to happen. And if it, if it happens, it happens, you know, within hour, I mean, minutes, you know, and then, and then just over the next 24 yeah. hours, it's, it's wild. Um, yeah. I mean, my all time most like retweeted, most viewed thing is, is, is still pinned on my Twitter account, you know, three point, uh, no, three million views. And it's, it's this music video that a coworker made after like Mac Miller, the rapper's death at the park where he died. And he just like brought his son there and let him walk around and made a video about it. And he was like, yeah, you can tweet that. And it's just crazy. Like it has nothing to do with news, but it just went super viral. Um, and it's just so strange. It's like, I put so much hard work, like you said, into all these other things. I did packages on Mac Miller's death, you know, where we interviewed friends of his and family, you know, and, and this like little music video of my friend's son walking around the park is, is what went viral. So it's just, <laughs> you never, never know. know never know but yeah um it's cool you know that's just like the nature of, of life and the way things go and it's it's fun you know it's unpredictable and it's fun um and it you know yeah. sometimes it's honestly better to be in the right place at the right time than <laughs> than, to, than to be a hard worker you know you just, you just never know so yeah seriously <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it sounds like you're having a lot of fun down there. Um, and obviously I'm, I'm excited to see where the rest of your career takes you, you know, either in DC or, or elsewhere. Um, so we'll, we'll segue into the, the rapid fire question portion of the program, which I do sometimes and sometimes I don't, but um, I want to go ahead and do it uh, in this episode. So um, you mentioned running. I was going to ask you what's your preferred way to work out. I assume it's run- running. Oh, uh, it was running. Now, to be honest, I use an app called FitBod, and I just do hour-long workouts in the gym. It's quick, and it's just, it just does all the work for me. Huh. What is, the, what is the app like? Just tell you which weight to lift or something? Yeah, it'll actually, like, it's funny. You can really custom, customize it as much as you want, whether you want to be, like, a bodybuilder or you want to, like, lean up, tone up, or work on powerlifting, Olympic lifting. You pick one of those. You know, you enter in your stats, your height, your weight. And then you kind of just, you know, say, what do you want to do? And then you say what kind of gym you have. You know, I have a full gym. And, you know, if, if you want, like, a body weight or you want, the, you know, to do, you know, dumbbells or things of that nature. And then it will spit out, like, a good, like, 12 different exercises. You know, like, you know bench press or, you know, squats, leg extensions. It will tell you how much weight and how many reps and how many sets to do. It just takes all the work out of it for you. Hmm. That sounds good. Is it free or is there a month? Is there a charge or? There's a free version, but the monthly one is like eight bucks a month, and that's when you get the unlimited like workouts and crates for you. It's completely worth the eight bucks. Nice, nice. Um, what's your preferred method of? Um, I mean, do you, if you if you drink caffeine, what's your preferred uh, source of caffeine? Oh, absolutely, coffee. I just bought a really expensive coffee maker. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Coffee uh, is the most important thing in my life. Are you? Do you prefer hot or cold? Hot. What kind of coffee maker did you buy, by the way? Uh, we bought a Ninja. Okay. Actually, uh, one of those Ninja ones, and I bought a grinder. I don't know. I got it at Target. <laughs> but it's pretty cool because it does, like, cappuccinos, everything, all that kind of stuff. It's fantastic. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, no, coffee is, uh, is awesome. You know, it's, we're at that time of year where you have to decide hot or cold. You know, it's kind of like uh, summer into, into winter now. Um, where's yeah. your favorite place that you've ever traveled? Um, what was that again? What's, what's your favorite place you've ever traveled? Favorite place I've ever traveled. I would have to say Amsterdam. Nice. Unbelievable city. Yeah, <laughs> for I've, more than one reason. Yes. Yes. I've, I've been there myself. It is an incredible city for, for so many reasons. It really is. <laughs> so um, many reasons. Yes, Absolutely. Um, what advice, how old are you now? Like I'm 31 years old. What what advice would you give your 21 year old self? Um, my 21 year old self. Wow. Um, get into computer science. (laughs) 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 That would be the advice I'd give my 21 year old self. But if it were to, for advice in this industry, uh, I would tell my 21 year old self to never say no. Say yes to everything that comes your way. Hmm. You never know what that can yield. Nice. Um, besides the coffee maker, what's your favorite purchase that you've made in the last year or so that was $100 or less? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, the favorite purchase I made that's $100 or less. I would have to say... I bought this new lamp from Target. <laughs> so I'm a, um, you know, I'm a musician. 
and this lamp looks like a mic stand. That's cool. <laughs> and it's one of those lamps where it's set up and like the lamp actually hangs from it. So it just, I have my, like my facts set up right next to the lamp and it just looks like a mic stand. And I've been obsessed with this lamp ever since I bought it. And it's under a hundred bucks. Yeah, that's a good answer. I like it. I like it. Um, nice. Um, what time do you get up on, on most mornings and, you know, work days and, and what does your routine look like? Are you, you know, checking email first? Are you reading a newspaper? Are you going to the gym? Are you eating? Do you not eat? What, what's your routine look like on an average morning? What time do you wake up? Uh, I wake up at 6 a.m. every day. I work day side, so I got to get there by uh, 9, between 9 and 9.30. So I wake up 6 a.m. every day. I make a cup of coffee immediately. <laughs> and by the time the coffee is brewing, I immediately go to my laptop and I spend the next hour to hour and a half checking emails, looking for stories, making sure people got back to me and setting up a story for the day. And then uh, if I don't, you know, obviously after work, I try to still set up stories throughout the week too while I'm at work. But every morning, wake up at six, get the coffee, look at emails, then I get the story going the entire time. Good morning football is playing on my TV. <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> and then uh, I, uh, yeah, I shower up and I get to work. I never eat breakfast. I probably should, but I never eat breakfast before I leave. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I mean, yeah. there's that whole uh, school of thought now called like intermittent fasting. You know, the people yeah. really swear by. I don't know if you're doing that intentionally or not, but people actually say it can uh, be a healthy thing to, you know, basically, uh, kind of limit your meals to like lunch and dinner basically. And then the rest of the time just, uh, have coffee and water and whatnot. So it's, uh, it's not the easiest thing to do, but you know, maybe you're, maybe you're onto something there. Um, I hope it works. (laughs) And then when do you do your FitBod app? Is that at night, night after work? Yep. So I I get off work between seven and seven thirty eight day by eight o'clock. I'm in the gym and I'm working out. I get home somewhere between 9, 30, 10 o'clock, and then I get like an hour, and then I go back to bed and do it again. Do it, do it all over again. Nonstop. Yeah. The adult lifestyle that we, that we live. Um, what TV show are you streaming uh, now, or have you streamed recently on Netflix or HBO or whatever? Ooh, I am uh, – what am I watching right now? I just finished watching Rhythm and Flow, <laughs> Cardi B's new show. Oh, okay. That show is amazing. It's like the voice for rappers. Oh my god, that show is fantastic. That sounds good. Um, and I'm also, yeah, it's such a good show. Uh, I'm also watching. Uh, I don't even know what I'm watching right now. I'm watching The Deuce. I got into that show. That's a pretty good show. Um, and then uh, is, I just gotta keep on my regular. What is that about? The Deuce. It's on H. It's on HBO Go. Maggie Gyllenhaal's on it. James Franco. Uh, some other people. It's set in New York City, I believe in the 70s. And it follows like a bunch of like, you know, like, to be honest, it's a, about the life of like the cops and their relationship with like kind of like the pimps and the prostitution scene in New York City in the 70s. And like the kind of the mob scene, how all three of those things play in together. It's one of those dramas, those are kind of gritty, like kind of like, you know, not suitable for work dramas, but it's just such a good story and the acting of it is fantastic. So I've been watching that and I've just been keeping up with my regulars. Silicon Valley's back, so I watched that. I was a big fan of Ballers. So whenever I can, I usually get, I, you know, I can afford like an hour of that 
maybe a day if I have enough time. So I'll squeeze in an episode and just kind of keep it moving. And I watch The Affair. That's my guilty pleasure. <laughs> I used to really like that show. I got I to gotta catch back up with that. It's a great show. And not a lot of people know about it, too. It's a great show. A lot of people don't know about it. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really good show. I, it started to, like, lose a little bit of its luster for me, but I definitely uh, loved, like, season one. And uh, I think I stopped watching it midway through season two. But I, I, I did like it. It was really good. What's interesting about that show is that yeah. they show the same events, you know, from two different perspectives. And they're, like, they're, like, the same event, but they're different. And it's kind of fascinating. I think it is, like, a really interesting look at how, you know, even in our own lives, like, you know, you see something one way, and I see it a totally different way, but we both think that our way is the way that it happened. Oh, exactly. The way that they show the different perspectives in that show is, I've never seen anything like it, and I love it. You know, yeah. I really do. And really good. it just it's, kind it's, of gives a window into how people actually are in real life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a cool show. Um, all right, and if you could have a billboard for free uh, that you would uh, decide what was on that billboard, it would be on, placed on the most highly traveled road in Washington, D.C., um, what would you want to have on it? You could have it say or anything or have any image you want. What would you have on it? I'd say all my billboard, it would say laugh a little bit more. Life's easier that way. Nice. I like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Good. Good. And then uh, this one is fill in the blank. Um, it's, it's like the, the format is like you know, Bo is the blank of journalism. Um, and so I guess the way I'd like to be or the way I somewhat see myself is uh, Jason Bourne. So like Bo is the Jason Bourne of journalism. <laughs> I like that. Um, what, would you, what would you pick for yourself? Ike is the blank of journalism. 100% sticking with my fandom, I would say Ike is the Walt Clyde Frazier of journalism. Here's a man who won a championship and it will always be remembered for that championship. So he's definitely doing work. He does his, a great job when he did do it, and even when he's recording for the Knicks, and he does it with some style and flavor. <laughs> I would say Ike is the Walt Clive Frazier of journalism. <laughs> so oh, so he, I didn't realize that he also like, does, like, he does like reporting for the Knicks too? Yeah, he, so he kind of does color commentary. For um, is it SNY? Whatever the Knicks are on. Yeah, one of those. Okay, uh, you know, regional. Okay, I didn't, I didn't know that. But, uh, I knew, yeah, I knew he's like the most famous. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He is very famous. Like he does it for the Knicks, and he's and like you know, kind of just like uh, uh, he always does. He always has like some kind of crazy blazer, or just some kind of crazy fashion statement. He always wears on air. Yeah, that is uh, that's cool. Um. And what would you say? What would you say is the best uh, movie about journalism of all time? The best movie about—that's a hard question. Would you, the best movie or the most entertaining movie about journalism? Uh, just entertaining. Just your favorite. Ooh, I'm gonna pick one that's like kind of recent. And there's one in my mind that I want to pick, but I'm gonna have to say Spotlight. I mean. Just because of the story that it covered, it was such a huge, huge story that that team uncovered and yeah. just how it affected the entire world. And the fact that the actual movie in and of itself was amazing. I love Liam Schreiber. I love everyone in that movie. It was just such, I, I rewatched that movie probably once a year and it just, I'm just always locked in. You know, I'd say yeah. Spotlight. And a close second for me personally is network, just because it's a classic. Yeah, 
yeah, Spotlight is is amazing. That that might be my pick actually as well. Um, it's kind of like all the it's like, it's almost like the all the presidents men of of our generation. You know, of, of exactly more recent uh, generation. Um, and do you think you'll stay in journalism the rest of your life? Yeah, I can definitely see myself in journalism for the rest of my life in some way or fashion. I don't know I'll be what I'll be doing in it, but I'll definitely be in it for the rest of my life. Uh, who's, who's your favorite stand-up comedian? <laughs> My favorite stand-up comedian is Patrice O'Neill. Rest in peace. Ah, all right. <laughs> Patrice um, O'Neill. Yeah, he was a little. Uh, he probably wouldn't be able to do his classic sets around today. But <laughs> you know what? He uh, he offered a really funny and interesting perspective into relationships with men and women. Definitely not suitable for work. Definitely very entertaining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of a lot of the best ones are not. Uh, safe for work for sure um yeah all right and then wrapping up um hip-hop or country hip-hop jazz or blues oh that's tough Making blues. one yeah blues cats or dogs dogs stick mic or lavalier Lavalier, not even a question. <laughs> Someone else said that recently. No question. No question. <laughs> no question. <laughs> All right, Ike, thanks a lot. Um, if people want to find you on social media or find you online, what's the best way to uh, connect with you and what are, your, uh, what are your handles? Just hit me up on Twitter. It's at Ike Ajachi, I-K-E-E-J-I-O-C-H-I. Or on Instagram, which is Ike on the Street. I know this is annoying, but each word is, is separated by an underscore, so Ike underscore on underscore the underscore street. And then, uh, yeah, those are your two best ways to do it. All right. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out of your weekend to do this and um, definitely uh, rooting for you as your uh, career continues. Thank you, Bo. Can't thank you enough for everything you've done to help me out, too. No, definitely. It's been a pleasure. All right. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you later. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Reporter Podcast with Bo Berman. Please share, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.